So it goes to show, Idaho is punter you. Like, <laughs> we're the only one, yeah. I think, that even has a punter on this list. We are, in the big sky at least. And, yeah, and he's sitting at 13, 12. Tied for 12, Jim Norton, 1960 to 1968 in the NFL. So right down there with Jerry and uh, Wayne. But, yeah, that's punter you, baby. Um, you're... You're really on your own, or you're filling up buckets of stuff yeah. uh, for your exercise. Welcome back, Tribe from the North Brave and Bold to the official unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandals Home on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I am your host, Chris Hammond, and with me today I have Brian Marceau. Hey, everyone. Good to be here. Today, we will be talking NFL Draft, as that is starting tonight, if you're listening to the podcast, or Thursday, if you're live with us on YouTube. Uh, we'll also be covering the 2009 rewatch, or the Vandal Rewatchable, the 2009 Humanitarian Bowl, and we've kind of sparkled in some COVID news and storylines uh, that have kind of come up throughout a bunch of different media sources, so time pending we'd like to cover as many of those as possible with you guys but first we want to thank our host uh today and our sponsor for the whole season montucky cold snacks ain't nothing like cracking a montucky cold snack an ultra refreshing light beer born in majestic big sky country the best part is when you crack a snack you're giving back Montucky Cold Snacks donates 8% of all profits back to local causes, even right here in Idaho, supporting organizations like the CW Hogs and the Idaho Food Bank. Yeehaw, that's freaking awesome. Montucky Cold Snacks, the light American lager for pow-pow rippers, gator wranglers, pony riders, and badass do-gooders. Visit MontuckyColdSnacks.com today to find out how to get your ass some snacks. The draft is Thursday. You could say we have three current, or I guess recently former Vandals, I don't know how the correct terminology of that is, that our draft prospects have uh, the best chance of being picked out of anybody. And then just for fun, we also have what could have been a Vandal and Jake Luton. So let's start it off. I know, Brian, you took a really big kind of uh, the deepest dive into this. What are some of the things you've seen and read on, you know, Lloyd Hightower, Noah Johnson, and Jeff Cotton and their prospects of moving to the next level? You know, one of the surprises to me is I guess I, um, if if I hadn't done any sort of research, and I'm sure a lot of fans like this too, uh, if you list those three guys, you probably think Noah Johnson would be the highest rated or most likely prospect uh, to get drafted. And, you know, and because of the need for offensive linemen, that obviously that, that may be the case. But from, you know, the, the most reliable website that I could find people referencing that kept uh, like a list of FCS guys was draftscout.com. And uh, based off of their ranking, it actually looks like um, Jeff Cotton might be our best chance uh, to get drafted, which I didn't. Uh, one thing about Jeff, which now this is probably just hard for us because of how pro days have been annihilated. Um, his his 40 time is looks like it actually might be close to good enough. He was his 40 time is listed as in the range between 4.4 and 4.5, mm-hmm. uh, which is I mean we knew we know he's fast, but yeah, hey that's confirmation. Uh, but he's you know draft scout has him listed as an undrafted guy, but uh, not that far behind um 
a guy from Rhode Island who they have projected as a sixth or seventh round uh, draft pick. So uh, Jeff Cotton, fingers crossed, uh, could be could be a Vandal this name called. Um, did that did that surprise you at all? Uh, you know, to hear that Jeff Cotton no. might be a better, a theoretically better prospect. No, I mean, I think when you're looking at it, obviously going into the season, Noah Johnson was probably the guy we thought had the best chance to really make the push into the next level. But the way Jeff Cotton just balled out this past season, I think he really did prove that he's probably the guy. I mean, he had a good junior year. His senior year, he showed that he can be a guy that's capable of carrying 90 to 90. I mean, we had the numbers back when we did the wide receiver outline covering a huge percentage of the receiving percentage for the entire team. So I think you look at that, you look at the workload. I, wide receiver's just such a deep position. If I had to give my, my comparison, I think he's going to be like Keelan Doss. Now, Keelan Doss had more time to really build up his profile of a, a draft profile of being from UC Davis last year. Went to the Raiders, became an instant hit on um, Hard Knocks. I believe, believe he ended up with them for most of the season and then maybe got a small stint with Arizona. Could be totally wrong. That's how I kind of see it. It's just an FCS guy who proved to be a really big workhorse, but it's just such a deep position. I mean, it, it's so hard to get drafted as wide receiver. And we've seen it with we, – we haven't had a wide receiver drafted. Cause I, don't th- I don't think Max Komar was drafted. I, mean, I know he played like two or three years in the league, and we'll cover some of the guys that are still – bouncing around the league that are vandals a little bit later, but I definitely think he's the guy who deserves, well, they all deserve it, but you know, the guy who's probably best set to make a real run at the NFL, but it's just getting drafted as a wide receiver is so hard. Yeah. The draft scout has, uh, has Jeff Cotton projected as uh, a free agent signee <laughs> and they have Noah Johnson projected as a guy who will get a tryout, but the, the way they have this coded, um, being drafted is it descends from your projections to being drafted to a free agent to try out to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah. So Jeff, Jeff Cotton's in, in the free agent projection um, actually really close to JJ Koski out of Cal Poly. So two big guys, two big sky guys real close. Um, and then Noah Johnson at, um, is listed as, as uh, potentially a tryout and circling back to your Keelan Doss thing um i mean yeah you were 100 correct uh he yeah he was raiders waved jaguars waved antonio brown gets you know shown the door <laughs> and then uh keelan doss went back, back the raiders got got a contact contract and wide receiver i mean it also goes to show just uh danny amendola is a good example where i believe he started with the cowboys was on their practice squad for like two years and then got signed by somebody else and then eventually made it to the Rams where he started to play, and then the Patriots, then the Broncos. I don't remember. You know, his career was pretty long, but he became a big name in the NFL and was a guy that was on a practice squad for two years. So that's kind of like where I see, like, a Keelan Doss. And I, don't, I like to think Jeff Cotton's more electric, and maybe he doesn't have to spend that much time, but I, I he's going to get a shake at the pros. I mean, what he did was just unreal last year. It's just it's such a hard position to break into because there are just you don't want to say a dime a dozen but every team had a guy putting up numbers like Jeff Cotton now does that mean they have the locker room the fire the intensity the work ethic no but 
I mean, every team has that go-to wide receiver. I mean, we've always had it. We we just last week talked about how uh, with Eric when he asked how our skill possessions have progressed over the years. We're like, well, you know, we thought we were kind of in trouble when David Unger left, a guy who's also playing professional football in Canada. Oh, we thought we were in trouble when Deion Watson left. We replaced him with Ruben Moella, Josh McCain, Max Comar, Eric Greenwood. We always seem to find guys, you know, that become the go-to guy every year. It's just what Jeff Cotton did this year was on a whole different level. Oh, yeah. And the the other thing with Jeff that we, we always I, – I, we try not to talk about the dead horse, uh, you know, on the show to the extent we can avoid it. But think of the numbers Jeff would have put up with a quarterback who, th- who could throw the ball like like a league average big sky quarterback. So I'm, I'm curious how much that may have held back his ability to rise in the eyes of scouts because he put up, I, he put up big numbers, but he, he easily could have put up bigger numbers. I mean, we saw, we saw when Colton Richardson played, you know, where we saw Jeff be able to stretch the field, you know, through the air um, instead of having to do a ton of it with yards after the catch. Um, yeah, I, I, God, it's, I just feel like in some ways that was such a bad break because maybe that would have, you know, pump, I don't, I'm not saying it would have pumped the height train for him like, let's say, Cooper Cup. Mm. Um, but, like, if we play back Cooper Cup's career and he doesn't have Vernon Adams throwing in the ball, um, it, it's going to be pretty tough for a guy like that to get drafted. Yeah. No, uh, 100%. Uh, it's just – and you just look at it. Cooper Cup um, – what was he drafted as? I mean, and he broke all of Jerry Rice's records. And you think if you told somebody who had no idea that when Jerry Rice was in the FCS and that the guy who did it was going, I mean, I guess maybe if you mentioned that, but I think it's because he's in the, he was a third round pick, you know, cause he's six, two and not the fastest dude in the world. Doesn't run. I, I don't remember who said this, but doesn't run super great routes. He's just open. Um, you just look at stuff like that, and you're like, if you told somebody that you would be able to get the guy who broke Jerry Rice's, you know, twenty year old records in the third middle of the third round, you'd be like, no way, someone's going to get him. But he went to an FCS school. He did it all four years. It's not like he really broke his senior records, or he just had an incredible last two years. He played four year Letterman, four year star, and still couldn't get out of the third round. It's it's really hard to break out as an FCS guy. Because there's so much talent at the FBS level that you're like, well, if you really were that good, someone would have taken a chance on you at the FBS. And to be fair to Jeff Cotton, that's not really fair because he joined a team that was FBS. So, you know, he thought he was joining an FBS squad. So it's interesting. Uh, I I, I do think there's a chance. I think it's safe to say when we're talking about all these guys, I do think they're going to be day threeers. I don't think anybody breaks into the sixth round. You might get a fifth. I mean, Caden Ellis last year was projected as an undrafted guy until his pro day. The problem with pro days this year, you look at Lloyd Hightower had an amazing pro day. He ran a 4-3-9. But what is that pro day? And how are those numbers actually being verified? There's not actually scouts there. So it's like, don't want to accuse him or his agent of fudging numbers, but a 4-3-9 compared to a 4-4, you think maybe a second smidge there because it does look that much better on your little handout card. But... Um, it's just without having the proper pro days and NFL combine and everything, it just feels like this draft is going to be so much based on pedigree. It's going to be, we know the guys from Alabama. We know the guys we've watched for four years play football. Taking a chance on somebody else. I mean, Pat McAfee said it great on his show this morning uh, when some guy called in 
huge D2 football fan. Like, probably should start D2 football fans nation on Facebook. Calls in, and he starts talking, and Pat McAfee just cuts him off and just goes, yeah, 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 I got nothing against small football. You know, I've covered South Dakota State, and they're even – and he's really good. And this is the league below them. And he goes, but if we can't even predict if guys from USC are going to hit, I'm not going to start trying to pretend to analyze people from D2. I mean, it's so true. You have – but people will take a chance on a guy from USC because it's USC where they're not going to take a chance on you if you're from Idaho or UC Davis or Montana. I'd be curious to see what Dante Olson's stock is just based on the fact that he's a guy probably like Caden Ellis that would have moved up in the draft if he could have been in front of scouts, combines. But instead, you know, they don't get to see him. And it goes, okay, he led the league in tackles. But as we talked about, if you're watching film, it's a lot of assisted tackles. How much of that can you actually see and see him physically if you're not seeing him in person? But I don't know. It, it's it's going to be a really weird NFL draft. I can't wait to see Roger Goodell's basement. <laughs> well, and the – didn't think about that part. Uh, but uh, the other thing, you know, we talked about Caden Ellis. Um, Caden Ellis really blew up in his pro day. Yeah. You know, when you got to see the clips of him just manhandling the tackling sled. Yeah, he was getting, like, um, you know, projected that... up to a fourth rounder after his pro day after being under considered undrafted. So, I mean, that's how big a pro day when he had scouts actually watching him was. And that's what I'm afraid with this yeah, one. And, and Lloyd Hightower, he missed out on that. And, you know, I'm looking at his 40-yard dash time, the 4-3-9. And, you know, if, if you think back, remember what we did have the combine, and that was where, you know, Dante Olson had a – a pretty good showing. He has like a 40 inch vertical uh, had really good lateral quickness, but his, um, his 40 was like four, seven or four, six or something like that. So it was like, it was a little bit too slow for what they're open for. Mm-hmm. Um, Lloyd Hightower didn't, didn't even get to was I don't believe he was able to do that to at least have some of the physical impression. So, um, you know, I'm with you on the draft, especially for our FCS guys. Um, I mean, I think this might, this, you know, you said, you said it right in that we, the safe assumption is to go with pedigree. Um, but I think we'll probably have, I wouldn't be shocked if we have some FCS guys or low, um, you know, low tier G5 guys um, who become like those undrafted gems this year, uh, just because people aren't, ta- yeah. don't have the ability to see in person like your Kane Nellis, where Kane Nellis did make the Saints. I believe he was playing before he, had, you know, he had a season-ending injury. Um, I don't know, man. Maybe that's that's probably what we have to hope for uh, at this point. But I will say that four three nine time that, that was a surprise. I didn't think Lloyd was slow or anything, but four three nine is pretty damn fast. That's that's really fast. That's freaky fast. I mean, uh, I, I think what helps Lloyd a lot too is the fact that he came in as a wide receiver, so he kind of has that like okay, this guy's played both ways. He's a Richard Sherman type, right? Like, okay, he he understands the wide receiver route. Uh, and you think it would be more prevalent in college than it actually is. Not a ton of guys start in one position and move over. I mean, probably one person each year on each team, maybe, like offensive, defensive line, et cetera. Maybe, like, Bamis moved from running back to linebacker a couple times. We've already covered how Borish has moved a few, but um, – yeah, I just uh, I think that could help Lloyd Hightower a little bit, but I see him being part of what you mentioned that the gem pool that's going to be the unrestricted free agents this year, and it really helps some of these guys because you get to pick right who who your future is going to be with, 
Um, I know when I was listening to the episode that you had with Rico, he talked about choosing Buffalo because their punter hadn't performed well, and they were looking to make a move. So he was like, Buffalo seems like a place I could go and make a move. Now, I hope agents and everything get involved because just like when we talked to Austin Rico, he brought up that he didn't understand when he was coming in the politics of the NFL, especially in a kicking room, right? The special teams coach liked that punter better. I think everybody, speaking of that punter's not there anymore, neither is that coach. Obvious Rico should have been their guy, but they didn't go with it. It's just, and it's so hard to get back in. Um, so hopefully that's what agents are for. And hopefully these guys have all signed up with good guys that can be like, yeah, you know, it does look like the Cardinals or the the Chiefs have room for another wide receiver, but are looking to add a young, fiery wide receiver or a lockdown corner. But, you know, their coach is really high on this guy because he went to his alma mater or, you know, something like that. So, I don't know. And then the guy we're totally forgetting about, which we covered, who probably was the most likely to get drafted going into the season. In fact, we asked him about it at media days, Noel Johnson. And I think he's a very big gem because other than, I mean, he just had a rough senior year. But for three years, he was dominant. And two of those years were in the FBS against Sunbelt teams that the Sunbelt, if they're known for anything, it's putting out defensive linemen. Like, that is that conference's strength. They get a lot of just huge athletic and fast linemen. It is discount SEC linemen. Um, and I, I just think that that's a guy that somebody's going to be really glad they took a chance on him. Now, I don't think he starts right away, but I think he's a guy that eventually has, like, an eight-year NFL career. I, I just think Noah Johnson has the mindset, the body, to play guard in the league. I I don't know. I, I'm surprised I'm not seeing his name more just because the hype he had coming into the season. I mean, he was three years straight preseason All-American, right? So I, I just don't get it. Or at least Big Sky Conference. And there's so that's the one thing about the FCS. There's no, like, media or coaches poll per se. It's like stats and hero and the coaches poll. And then there's, like, Athlon. And it's it's a little bit harder to get that, like, that tuned in. Uh, AP All-Americans, but for the most part, he was on every list. So I, I don't want to sh- like sly Noah Johnson because I do think he has a real good shot of getting picked up. But uh, I, I don't think he's getting drafted, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I, I can't explain. I have no idea why he's not rated higher. Yeah, I, I'm looking through the draftscout.com and – you can understand with let's say quarterbacks why you know Jake Meyer who was good at UC Davis like you can understand why he's more of a let's say a CFL prospect yeah uh, Dalton's need the same way um, I I don't get to Noah Johnson thing because even in his you know quote unquote down year he was still real, real super good. productive I mean not he wasn't bad I mean yeah there's probably better left guards in the nation last year but. I mean, didn't he? He still finished second team or first team Big Sky at left guard, didn't he? I thought he was second team. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, still, he, yeah. it was still in a quote unquote down year. Still he, second. He was an all league guy all every single season he played. Yeah. Just uh, that, that's a guy I feel like's getting a little slighted. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, then you have Jake Luton. I'm curious, where do they have Luton? Because I I've heard he's I don't remember who brought it up recently, but he's apparently getting a little bit of love in the fact that people think he might actually be a solid prospect, like a guy going forward that could be 
a backup potential come in and start if their starter gets hurt kind of dude. Almost like uh, uh, Brian Hoyer was, I guess. There's a guy kind of like that that's like always on the fringe of being just a bad starter, but you'd rather have him as just a backup. Yeah, so um, Jake Luton, they have him listed as in the Pac-12. He's their one, two, their fifth-rated quarterback. Um, they have him projected as a sixth or seventh round, uh, sixth or seventh round pick. Him and Anthony Gordon are right around the same level. Um, surprising thing for me, not that this matters, but it's Big Sky connection. The number eight rated quarterback out of the out of the Pac-12, Gage Gubrud. So even though he didn't play, I guess it's because Anthony Gordon yeah. was so good and Guru proved what he could do at Eastern that I mean I guess it makes sense. It's just weird when like you said, you you don't hear of a guy and he doesn't win a starting job after moving up we'll call it up in competition. Oh the the Pac twelve is up in competition compared to the big big sky. Yeah. And you I'd be curious to see where he was early in boards when he was on Eastern. It's like going into last year. I wonder if that's a move up, move down, or just about exactly where he would have been. Because he was considered a top-flight FCS quarterback. I mean, probably top eight, right? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, he – look, I mean, Eric Verrier kind of made us forget about him, but wasn't he like pre preseason Big Sky Player of the Year going into his se- yeah, senior season? I, I think so. First senior season? Yeah. So He would have been – I mean, look. Dalton Sneed has already signed uh, Montana quarterback. For those who forgot, uh, Dalton Sneed has already signed a CFL contract. Gage Gerbrud was more productive than Dalton Sneed by a pretty significant margin. Yeah. Uh, so you have to presume he would have, at worst, been a CFL a CFL pro- prospect. Yeah, and we're gonna cover this a little bit later. But I just uh, the, the CFL, especially a quarterback, man, you talk about the NFL. CFL is so cutthroat because, one, there's only, what, eight teams in the CFL? Nine? There's not a lot. And, obviously, every team's always looking for the next young guy. You, they cycle through quarterbacks pretty fast there because they do, are actually pretty heavy in talent. I mean, you look at some guys, Vernon Davis could probably be on an NFL roster somewhere, but I think he realized, like, is it really worth moving every, like, every season to bounce around to be on some on and off, like as the second or third guy on a team, or I can stay and I think he's in Toronto now and I can be the star. And he signed a pretty big contract. I think with the Argonauts from where he was playing, which I think was Hamilton. I don't know. I'm not going to lie to you. My, my CFL knowledge is not the top tier, but I mean, that's a league where Johnny Manziel was in it. There's what there's if Gubru goes there, there'll be three Eastern Washington quarterbacks starting, I think, in the CFL. We don't that's a Kyler yeah, question, we, but well I'm so just just a quick fact check. When you say Vernon Davis, you mean Vernon Adams. Vernon Adams, Adams yeah. Uh, I of course. Not Vernon Davis. Yes, I know you know his name. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you know his name. Uh, I believe he's on Mon- the Montreal Owlets or something like that. Yeah. I'm not a I know he's on Montreal. That's right. Montreal. And I know he bounced around. The Alouettes, not the yeah, he might have been on Saskatchewan or something like that yeah, for his first. The Rough Riders. But, uh, I do know a lot about the CFL. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, so he's bounced around. Yeah, he bounced around a little bit. Um, 
But yeah, there's, a, I mean, that's another thing that maybe as we're in the big sky, we'll just gain more interest or knowledge about. There's there's a good amount of, of big sky players mm-hmm. who have a pro career in the CFL. Yeah. And uh, I guess going on to the guy, we, we've covered our current prospects. Let's kind of talk about some of the guys we currently have in in the pros, because this is where I kind of, it relays perfectly in what we're talking about. So we could be missing one or two. Uh, this is kind of the research I did. Um, Mikey Apati re-signed with Seattle. Benson Mayoa signed with Seattle. Jesse Davis just signed last year, I believe, a new deal with Miami. Um, you have Jesse, uh, or Elisha Penny still playing at the New York Giants. Obviously, Caden Ellis expected to return to New Orleans. Uh, everything we've heard, the recovery and everything's going fine. They don't plan on cutting him. Um, that's it in the NFL. Now, from everything I read, thanks to the XFL, Ruben Moella looks like he's going to get a shake with the Seahawks. Uh, they just wanted more game film on him after leaving last year. Um, and then the other one would be the BC Lions apparently have extreme interest if the Seahawks don't work out. Is how I read Colton Clark's article he had on him while the CFL was still going on. Uh, the other one is obviously David Hunger is at uh, at the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but then you look at guys who are still exploring their options. You have a guy like Corey Toomer who is getting a little bit up there in age, but has had a long NFL career. Austin Rico, uh, I think he, you touched on it with him. He just doesn't seem that interested in going to Canada, um, but a guy that I mean I would love to see get a fair shake at the NFL because I think if he gets on a team, he's in. But it's just it's such a hard fraternity to break into, and then Quentin Bradley, I believe, is still he. From everything I read, it looked like he's still kind of pursuing the um, NFL stuff. So those are guys I had that are kind of still on the market, and like I said, going after that, David Hunger is the only guy who's taken the the CFL route. Uh, I know Max Ford, I have on the list actually. Uh, I believe he actually retired, but just in case, I mean. Spent his entire career in the CFL after, I think, spending some time with the Seahawks in training camp or the Raiders. But had a pretty long CFL career. I just don't get why more Vandals don't do, do the CFL. I guess maybe it's worth getting David trying to get David Unger on and talk about his first year in the CFL or getting somebody with CFL experience. I just You hear of like a lot of Montana guys, a lot of Eastern guys that go up there and they seem to like it and have long careers. And then I just look at our list of guys... Moella, Rico, Ford, Toomer, Bradley, that just, they, they're still looking for an NFL-type gig, and they were obviously all willing to try the XFL. XFL folded. The CFL's been around for, gosh, decades now. Like, it doesn't appear to be going anywhere. I think, I don't know. I I, I would hope more people do it. I, like, for instance, if Lloyd Hightower doesn't get picked up, I hope the CFL is an option he considers because I really want to see Lloyd Hightower play. And, uh, a good example of, of this kind of stuff would be, I believe it was Brandon Browner was playing in the CFL before the Seahawks brought him in. It's like it's not like the CFL's a dead end. People do make it from the CFL eventually on the NFL rosters, and sometimes become part of one of the best defenses of all time. But it's, I don't know, I, like Noah Johnson, I actually think he's got an NFL spot. But Jeff Cotton, maybe a guy who is it worth being on a practice squad for a year or going out and showing up in the CFL? I I don't know. Um, Jake Luton, another guy probably would be a stud in the CFL. So, I don't know. I just, looking at that, I'm excited Dalton Sneed, for instance, is in there because I think he's going to be really fun to watch. I just, I wish more guys from Idaho 
would pursue the CFL because it sucks when we have some fun players. I would love to turn on the team. I would watch Deion Watson. Like, if Deion Watson was on a team with, like, David Unger right now, I would tune in and watch their games. You know, maybe not change a major life event. Like, I'm not going to, like, skip someone's birthday party to watch it, but on a Saturday or Sunday, whenever their games are, yeah, I would tune tune on every once in a while if I could find it down here. Like, uh, Isaiah Saunders, I'd love to watch Isaiah Saunders still run the rock. James Baker, I'd love to watch him still run the rock. I think Duckworth's still out there floating around. The guy probably should research more. Like, there are vandals I would tune in and watch, especially like Deion Watson is a big guy because I thought he had a real shot at the NFL. Um, it's kind of like that fifth guy on a roster because he could do that floating between tight end and wide receiver. I, I just – I don't know. I, it sucks when we – it's like how the big three was created for basketball when these guys get old and retire. The CFL is like where a lot of the best players on teams that just love football, which if you usually go to a small school, you do. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm starting to repeat myself, but I would love to keep watching some of these guys, especially a guy like if Jeff Cotton doesn't get a shake that we only got to see for really one year really show out and only two years altogether. I'd love to see another four to five years of Jeff Cotton, especially if Snead was throwing him the ball. Oh, man. The big sky would root for that team. Or Vernon Adams, like. Yeah, and with the appetite for a second pro football league, um, I wouldn't be floored if at some point, it you know, I don't expect the CFL would be, let's say, a, a huge player in the American market, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if it becomes a, a bit more of a niche thing that, you know, more people get into it than you might guess. Yeah, I think, because you're right, I think with the way the AAF showed that people were interested they just didn't execute on it. The XFL showed that if you put a fun product to watch, people will tune in. The, the XFL would have been great for this. Unfortunately, COVID happened and on the league went under. There's a slight chance it comes up if someone buys it, but I mean, I've seen the list of their like debtors. I don't think anyone's buying it. Um, I just, I think you're right that this might prove that if you really are interested in a second league. If you're the CFL, like, I'm a marketing major. If you ever hear this CFL, I will come to Toronto or wherever the heck your offices are. Like, market this to Americans. Be like, it doesn't go on directly with your season. You have very marketable guys that people have heard of. I mean, even when Johnny Manziel went up there, like, that was your opportunity to really market it to Americans. And, like, no one heard about it. So I just think, like, the CFL is primed to become that second league and really make it more attractive for some of these college players who would rather call it quits or sit on the bench instead of play in Canada, but it's just not marketed well. 100%. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, again, not not that we're trying to make a CFL podcast for our Vandal fans. Um, with how football at all levels in America passes the ball more and more and more, well, in the CFL, you have three downs. Yeah. So they, they, actually, they do pass a lot more. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I, I did, when I was looking at that list, I was just like, man, that's – we've got some guys – like I said, we actually still have a pretty healthy amount of guys in the NFL. Um, but I just look at all those guys who are still looking for a career, and I just go, man, the CFL just looks like such a fun option right now. Um, so I guess real quickly, let's cover uh, Brian McLaughlin of Hero Sports. 
released a couple articles recently that are covering most successful professionals from FCS teams. Now, to preface this, because you're going to hear some of these and go, what the heck, does it make sense? Uh, Mikey Apati did not play in the Big Sky. It is teams that are currently in the FCS. So, yes, Mikey Apati, we get credit for Mikey Apati. He actually makes the top 10 for Big Sky, even though he never played a down and was over 15 years from the time we played it. So it's not even like we were recruiting him as an FCS like team. Um, he probably had no idea we used to ever be FCS till he signed with us. So, yeah, there's some flubs, like Jerry Kramer didn't play in the Big Sky, but he played in what would later become a lot of Big Sky schools. So, I don't know. But Idaho did really, really well. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you want to take it away kind of on some of this, but I, I love the article. I like what Brian did here. He got it from some website. I think it's college football reference, but... Yeah, we're just like ranked every person NFL player's career, and he went and found every single player that played for a former FCS team, um, and it's pretty impressive. Yeah, um, he yeah the Pro, pro Football Reference had uh, it's a metric called AV, which is approximate value. We don't need to explain what it means. It's one of the many analytic metrics that combines a handful of things. That's it. The end. Um, <laughs> no, number one all-time Big Sky player Jared Allen from Idaho State, which we're not going to spend time on Idaho State stuff, but yeah. hey, it's a it's a Idaho school, so that's kind of cool, I guess. Um, but yeah, man, uh, U, U of I had number two and three in Wayne Walker and Jerry Kramer. Um, I will say, I kind of presume Jerry Kramer might be number one because yeah, he's a Hall of Famer now. I, I noticed what he's not counting, and like I said, I don't know if it goes into the statistical thing, but I know what Brian's not including is Super Bowls. Because that is the one thing. I could be totally wrong on this. I don't believe Jared Allen did any floating ring chasing at the end. He just was Chiefs and uh, Vikings. So I don't believe he ever won a Super Bowl or even went to one maybe. And then, yeah, you look at Jerry Kramer and Mark Schlereth, who is covered in here a little bit later. Both won Super Bowls. Jerry Kramer are part of one of the best teams of all time. And I see that it's probably because he only played in 130 games where Jared Allen played in 640 or uh, 643 career tackles. So I guess that's not quite what I was looking at. But I, I'm i not going to get – I thought I saw this too and I had the same reaction you did of like how is Jerry Kramer – and one, not ahead of Wayne Walker. I mean, Wayne Walker is great, but Jerry Kramer is like the cornerstone of Idaho. Um, And I think he should have been above Jared Allen – I would have put him above Jared Allen, but it's based off statistics. But then again, you're also talking about like it is Jared Allen. Like that is a that is a well known guy. At least we know who Jared Allen is, and it's not somebody where like if you were an Idaho State fan and you actually saw like Wayne Walker at two, you're probably like who? Like unless you went to Idaho, you don't know who Wayne Walker is. You might know who Jerry Kramer is because like you said, he was just announced the Hall of Fame two years ago. So and he's in all the old Lombardi documentaries and stuff but i don't know you look at the list the guy i guess i had a problem with but once again it's not brian we're not insulting brian he's just <laughs> compiling the stats for us um vincent jackson like yeah i i know of him but like is he really the f tied for third tied with jerry kramer technically i think that's where he kind of ordered them where he viewed them maybe not i could be wrong on that 
Vincent Jackson is the third best player in Big Sky history. I mean, that's including the likes of obviously Mark Slareth, Mikey Apati. I'm just going down this list. Uh, yeah, I'll give him Jake Scott. Uh, I guess there's not too many other names. I would definitely put him behind. So maybe that's why. But I guess I was just super surprised to see Vincent Jackson. And then the fact that Aaron Smith is actually like ahead of Vincent Jackson. That's where I'm also like, no offense to Aaron Smith. I couldn't tell you more than any teams he played on, except I think he had like a two-year stint with the Giants. I can tell you Vincent Jackson was a star in the league for at least two years. Like, bona fide star. So, I don't know. I, I had my gripes with that, too. Yeah, I well, the one thing that did jump out at me a little bit at first was two Northern Colorado guys that high. Uh, but that was also from when Northern Colorado was a D2 powerhouse. That's true. So, theirs don't even count. So, because Kyler was slipping us some stuff because I brought it. I you know, was tweeting like, oh, we're the class of the big sky. And he was like, class of the big sky. You guys, like, you know. Half those players, like only two of those players, even played on you your team when you're Big Sky. So yeah, if you look at the top, other than Jared Allen, so maybe that's why he deserves to be number one. Uh, one through six, one through seven, one through seven are all guys who did not play in the Big Sky. <laughs> so pretty much the best Big Sky recruits are Jared Allen and Mark Slareth. <laughs> Yeah, would well. I don't know if Portland State's quarterback would have been big. No, they would have been D two then too. Man, yeah, because they weren't big okay. sky until what, like two thousand one or something. It was like okay, they I'm, replaced us, I think. I'm also going to circle back real quick, just for our listeners. Um, so you, to go over the Idaho names real quick, we like I said, Wayne Walker, number two uh, on the list. He was a linebacker. If you didn't know, Jerry Kramer, number three. We're unanimous. Jerry Kramer should have been should have been above Wayne Walker. Yeah. Um, Mark Schlereth tied for seventh offensive lineman. Again, you all should know this, but just in case you don't, uh, Mark Schlereth is the most famous Idaho offensive lineman who is not Jerry Kramer. The third most famous Idaho offensive lineman is number 10, Mike Upati. And then um, we had Jim Norton, defensive back, punt returner at number 12, Jake Scott, offensive lineman um, at number 14. Uh, Marvin Washington, defensive lineman, number 21, and that's his top 25. Yeah, and it was actually uh, – Jim Norton was a punter. He punted and played DB. Oh. That was back in the day where, yeah, like your kicker was like an actual athlete on the team. So it goes to show oh. Idaho is punter you. Like <laughs> we're the only one yeah. I think that even has a punter on this list. We are in the big sky at least. And, yeah, and he's sitting at 13th, 12th. Tied for 12, Jim Norton, 1960 to 1968 in the NFL. So right down there with Jerry and uh, Wayne. But, yeah, that's puncher you, baby. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, impressive names. Um, like I said, because obviously we are getting a lot of crap for how a lot of these guys are older. Now Mark Slareth, legitimate, 1989, 2000 um, in the league. That's a guy won Super Bowls. People will be like, all right, that was recent. That was big sky. That should count. But we're getting a lot of flack for other stuff. I'm like, all right, Mikey Apati's still in the league. Yes, has he slowed down? Of course. But four Pro Bowls. Like, he's he's a bona fide top. He was arguably at the time the best left guard in the game. 
So uh, I I don't like that people I, – I don't know. That one I feel like without knowing too much about Jan Stenrod, I guess once again back in the 60s, kicked to 85, so maybe I'm wrong there. But Neil Lomax, probably I think he's part of that run and gun or uh, run and shoot offense back in the Portland State days. But I, th- I see Mike Iopati climbing this list, and I, maybe it helps if the Seahawks win a Super Bowl this year or if he ends up going somewhere else and winning one to move up. But he's not done. He's still on this list. In fact, out of everybody, because Kyler also brought up how all the Eastern players are currently in it, yeah, he's the only player on the list still currently playing. So he's the only one in theory that could move up. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I love Mike. I'm glad he made the top ten. Once again, it's a list including Big Sky guys, so I, we probably shouldn't be diving into this as much as we are because it doesn't matter. He didn't play in the Big Sky, but uh, interesting interesting takeaways I saw was that obviously Idaho four guys in the top ten. That's forty percent. That's more. No other school had more than one guy in the top ten, and we had four. We also had seven, which means we made up twenty four percent of the top twenty five from the Big Sky. Once again, as we've been talking about in the last couple episodes, we want people to remember that Idaho has not always been trash. As you can see, throughout history in the northern region of not big schools, to not tie this into the big sky, we were pretty dang successful putting guys in the pros through multiple decades. We're talking 50s, 60s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. Like We're putting guys in the league, and maybe not at the number or like the clip of some other schools, but the guys we put in are solid guys who play for multiple seasons. I mean, Jesse Davis is a guy that, if he keeps playing, could creep into that 25 spot. I mean, probably not. But maybe if uh, Jake Scott made it, Jesse Davis is probably not too far off. No, no, man, probably not. And, yeah, you know, what you said about Idaho not not being, you know, always trash. Um which and now, of course, listeners, potential parents of players, we know we're we're moving back up. But uh, yeah, man, that and from the '80s through through into '96, you know, encompassing that Eric High saw time. Listen to last week's episode. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of winning seasons. Yeah. Um. So it's good. And then you, uh, he went on to do like the top 100, and then obviously the top 300, but really go in depth on the 100. Uh, I believe we only had Wayne Walker crack the – let me pull this up. He actually has the alphabetical here. So give you guys where they rank in the grand scheme of everything. Um, so Wayne Walker, actually, is the 38th best player from the FCS. Um, Jerry Kramer, the 69th best player in FCS history. See, when you say that, that's when it also sounds low. He's in the Hall of Fame. But uh, 91, Mark Slareth. Seems low. 115, Mikey Apati seems low. Um, but I guess I'm not taking an effect. Everybody else has Mikey Apati's and Jerry Kramer's on their teams too, I'm sure. Um, Jim Norton, 125. Uh, Jake Scott, 137. At 245, you have Marvin Washington. So um, pretty good. No other Big Sky team had the numbers that we had. Uh, I don't think anybody else had over three or four so the fact that we had seven it's just huge and just to run you guys down the list of i guess the top five to give you an idea of who we're talking about here talking about jerry rice number one 
Walter Payton, number two, Terrell Owens, number three, Michael Strahan, number four, and Willie Brown, number five. So, I mean, it's not like they're being compared to a bunch of just Joe Schmoes you'd never heard of, right? I mean, those are for those are five Hall of Famers. I believe T.O. finally made the Hall of Fame, but if not, he'll eventually get in. So, it, it, the FCS is no joke. There are a lot of guys, two of the best wide receivers of all time, Jerry Rice and Terrell Owens, and Randy Moss. Was Marshall still FCS when Randy was playing for him? Yeah, I believe so, because he played with Chad Pennington, didn't he? I mean, Pennington was a freshman on the 1995 team. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, Montana won the championship in 95. Marshall made the – Marshall's who they beat. Chad Pennington was their starter, so I believe yeah. Randy Moss would, was an FCS player. Yeah, so, I mean, Randy Moss, they, I guess the only reason he'd be included in this is because they're now FBS, so – yeah, that's the draw there. But that's why we get Mikey Apati to count. But um, there's there's a lot of really good guys that come out of the FCS. And there's right there looking Terrell Owens, Jerry Rice. That's where we're looking at. Bring it all back around <laughs> to Jeff Cotton. He could be the next guy. Um, so some other stuff because we, we're doing all right on time. I mean, I don't know how long we'll spend on this, but um, – you shared a interesting podcast with me today. I guess if you want to kind of explain the concept of it, and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit, because I think we both talked off air and camera about it a little bit, but I think there's some things to be brought up. Yeah, so the podcast I listened to that um, if if you guys are looking for additional Big Sky content, I'd recommend checking out. It's called The Press Box it's hosted by Larry Weir. He's the play-by-play announcer for Eastern Washington basketball, and I believe he does football too. Um, he does a radio broadcast. Um, he was joined by Mitch. Is it Stro- Stroham or Str- I always forget his last name. Uh, the, the NAU guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mitch. Forget this is really interesting contact co- content for you guys while I figure out what. Mitch Stroman. I always expect there's an extra st- syllable, but Mitch <laughs> Stroman, the NAU play-by-play. Him and Larry Weir are my two favorite play-by-play guys uh, in the conference. But those two plus uh, University of Montana play-by-play uh, announcer Riley Corcoran, those three were on to talk about the news that um, one of the things being explored by Power 5 conferences includes um, playing playing games without fans being present. And what they were try what they started to talk about didn't they ended up, you know, kind of segueing away, but uh, was is it feasible for the FCS to would it be feasible for the FCS to have a season like that where uh, we have the games, they're televised, but there are no fans in the seats mm-hmm. um, if that's where we get to. And you know, I'm you I, be, I believe you you have something you'll bring up. Um, has had to do with the mountain West, but uh, man, I'm curious about that too, because there is a, some, some schools really do rely on the gate. Like Montana gets a ton of money at the gate, but like Northern Colorado probably doesn't get that much. Um, Idaho though, we're trying to get more because we have a separate issue. We may touch on later uh, where mm-hmm. we need money from the gate. Um, we would not lose the same amount of money as like Montana and Montana state. So I don't know if that would, when you factor in like maybe, you know, less security costs or something like that, it might make it feasible. Um, but, uh, I can tell you in some ways, if that were to happen, 
I mean, I'd hope that I'd hope the FCS would get some version of a TV contract. So it'd be additional stuff. Um, so we'd yeah. be on something other than just Pluto. Uh, but what were, what were your thoughts about the FCS playing without big sky specifically playing without fans? Yeah, I, I actually, ironically, the Grizz fan pod had, I think her name was Bryn on. She's like, yeah. uh, the associate athletic director for marketing communications for the university of Montana. And they kind of touched on this as well. And she touched exactly what you talked about in terms of stadiums and the revenue loss and how she said, if you would need to work out TV deal, because no offense, if the big draw is like Montana, Montana state, should all that revenue really being split with like a Northern Colorado when the team that's getting hit the worst by it or Montana, Montana state, because Northern Colorado isn't selling tickets. But at this point, to be fair, magic numbers, everything aside, like I'm pro sports any way we can get it right now. Yes. I want to be at the Kibbe dome. I want to be at Bobcat stadium come November, but if it at least takes us starting the year, or even if it's a year where you only play your conference schedule, which for the big sky for once, thank God we have 13 teams. Boom. 12. Well, I guess we play 11 this year, but maybe you find a way to make it all 12 and you actually run a round robin and then you're sending people to the playoffs that way. If you're in a conference with eight, well then, I mean, sorry. Maybe that's a reason why you need to look at the new call conference realignment here. Um, because like, as you touched on an interesting thing, I also read about this is BYU realizing with scheduling, this could be a huge issue because they're not in a conference, but, um, I, yeah, it would be weird watching football without fans, but to be fair, in the big sky, we're not super unfamiliar to watching football with little to no fans. Like, when we play, God, I'm trying to think, who is a terrible away game where we, we've been pretty lucky on away games where we haven't been to just totally empty stadiums. Probably the most empty was probably UC Davis in 2018. Probably. So, yeah. But, I mean, for instance, when you're a Cal Poly fan and you're at Southern Utah, you're probably used to watching your team not play in front of tons of people. I don't think the Southern Utah people really get up for a game against Cal Poly, especially last year when both teams were very bottom of the conference. So, yeah, for Montana, it would be weird. It'd be really weird as a fan. Luckily, we would have Montana in the Kibbe Dome, but if it was like last year, missing the opportunity to go to like a Wagriz or a Bobcat, or I do think that like Moscow is probably a destination. It should be for most people if they haven't been. Like it's a fun college town and a cool place to be to if you haven't been to yet. Uh, chance to not go to like Rue. Some of the bigger fun towns and like Portland is a fun place to go just because you're in Portland. Yeah, like it would suck for that. But as far as football, you get used to it because football attendance has been dropping anyways across football all levels of football for a decade now. It's just becoming a TV sport anyways. People want the little yellow line showing the first down. They want the replays to actually be shown to them on TV where they're not shown on the video boards, which, once again, the Grizz fan pod nailed with Bryn talking about how they're allowed to replay and stuff. But I think people get more used to it than they care to admit that we kind of already prefer just to watch football on the TV. The only reason you really go to a game is you're 
a freak like us, and for some reason you like the hassle of driving somewhere, finding a hotel room, or for you probably in Coeur d'Alene, driving there and back, being around a bunch of friends in the atmosphere. But for most Vandal fans, obviously the ones down in Boise, they would rather not make the trip up the goat trail and watch it on TV anyways. So I'm pro just be, starting. I'd be curious if there is some money to be made in – I don't know if the SCS would – fully be able to do pay-per-view but whether there's a, a way you know you would essentially be able to buy like season tickets to watch the broadcast or something like yeah. that i don't like there there seems like if money is a concern there'd have to be something mm. um but and you oh, gotta man, view it I mean, as like you said like yeah you hear it like i don't want to pay a hundred dollars for a vandal season pass or whatever right but then you look at it like well, think about what one trip to Moscow costs you if you're from Boise. Because if we're doing, being honest, most people that listen to this are probably from Boise. You're eighty to a hundred dollars on gas round trip. How much are you spending on a hotel? Probably another hundred to two hundred. Maybe you're driving up in the RV. That's fine. You don't have to pay for a hotel, but now your gas is so much more expensive. And you really think about it. That's just for one game. If you have season tickets. Between the season tickets costing, if you get the cheap ones, I think like ninety five dollars. Anywhere up to a couple thousand dollars if you get the more expensive ones, plus the travel, plus the like paying a hundred dollars for two hundred dollars to get to watch all 11 games wouldn't be that big of a deal. Or if it, the Big Sky package did as something now, I don't think you could charge people like a thousand dollars to get every Big Sky game. I think you would have to make it team specific because, like, for instance, it. it would hurt teams like Southern Utah because I'm not sure there's a diehard Southern Utah fan out there who's going to fork over a couple hundred to thousand dollars to be able to watch their team get their ass kicked all year. So you're basically just going to get Montana, Montana State, Idaho, Eastern, Weber. Like, obviously the teams that pull crowds. Like, I don't know. And I think in that way you lose money because you're going to have less people buying it than having the cheap. That way, It would be really hard to figure a price tag. But I think you're right. People would buy it. And you get some people nationally that would buy it. Because, one, some people have to cover it, like Hero Sports and them. I don't know if then you just let them have it so that they're covering it since it's already kind of like a ghost season. But um, I don't know. I I mean, I've got a – as we're talking, like my price in my head of like what I'm willing to pay keeps going up, and I keep hearing like $1,000. I'm like, I wouldn't pay $1,000. I wouldn't pay $1,000. But then I honestly think if you put me September 1st and I don't get to watch any Big Sky football, any Vandal football – Unless I pay a thousand dollars, I mean, I'm gonna find a way to sell some bone marrow or something because there's no way I'm going a whole fall without watching football. Unfortunately, I mean, they could ring me for it. I, I just, I don't think a lot of people would do that. But I mean, yeah, it's scary. But I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 the kind of thing for me where I mean, I could. It's inconceivable in the past to to to, to have thought about this because we had the Pluto broadcast. Uh, but you know, would I be willing to pay um, the same cost I would have paid for like a general admission ticket to watch the games for pay per view? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If the if that's the, if that's what has to happen to make to be able to fund some of these events, or like let's say um, Terry Gallick announced that you know there's essentially a season ticket drive where if we could get enough people to commit um, to buying you know pay per view. Uh, to watch Vandal games that we, it was feasible to have a season financially. I, I, I chip in, no question. Yeah. No, and it's, 
I mean, we're going back while we've got Gallic on the mind. Um, Colton Clark did a nice piece uh, the other day. And what I love is he asked questions that everybody's been asking on us message boards. And Terry didn't hide from them. She answered them. Now, I do love how transparent this athletic department's being. But um, according to the Vandals Athletics financial report, first outlined by PullmanRadio.com, the budget deficit surpassed $1.5 million during the 2009 fiscal year, up about half a million from the previous year, so we, about 500000 UI's football program experienced a loss of about 50% or $700,000 in ticket revenue and contributions, so VSF contributions, stemming from its the top-tier D1 subdivision to the FBS to the FCS beginning in the 2018 season. So we we have now finally like a number that's literally the, the athletic department's not trying to hide it. Chuck Stapen's not here being like, no, no, it was a good call, it was a good call. And we can talk to it was a good call for the future and a good call. And we'll, someday we will all get to discuss this. But as far as what the biggest detractors of it said is the financial cost of you're going to lose people. And a lot of it is people that eventually are going to come back anyways because after once we're winning, they're not going to sit on their hands and not watch Vandal football and not donate again. But, yeah, this cost us $700,000 a year to make this move down. And he said that was a loss in contributions, so people that are donating to the VSF and ticket revenue. And we've covered, it might just be now that, once again, this athletic department is being more transparent than the last one. Our attendance numbers are way down. And a lot of that is now we are counting butts and seats, not tickets sold. Now, tickets sold in this point goes to show the point of how much money you actually make because a ticket was sold. doesn't matter if the person's in there. But I think we can even admit that butts and seat have been a little bit down at two we've covered enough that we just yeah. have had two unfortunately subpar seasons but yeah so Idaho for instance is a team that is obviously suffering from ticket revenue loss and if we're experiencing that while still having pretty good fans and everything it just makes you wonder like i don't know how many of those people would actually pay to watch it on TV would it help the the deficit would it not and then you touched on it like Montana that sucks cuz they packed 20,000 every game like that's a lot of money out the door how many of those people are going to pay because let's be honest if you live in missoula and you're not going to the game bars are going to buy it right you're not going to sit at home and buy it you're going to go to the press box or um stutzman's whatever one of their bars and you're going to watch the game it'd be like if you were in moscow you're not going to pay for it at your house if you can get a group of four or five of you and go down to the corner club so yeah although i'd keep in mind with that because we're talking look i mean obviously we there's a lot of stuff about the COVID situation we can't project my guess is what terry gallick would say if this were an actual idea is if we're looking at having to do pay-per-view for a football season you probably can't go to a bar uh and watch games in a group yeah, or they'd have to do it exactly how like the UFC and everything does it, where the bar is paying per estimated eyeball or whatever, and like you can have like huge yeah. fines or get your pay per view like revoked, I believe, if they find out like you're charging, pe- you're getting charged as if your bar is going to have fifty people, and then it turns out you have one hundred and fifty. I think at one point you're supposed to actually turn people away. So yeah, if like 
the corner club obviously wouldn't do this, but let's say some bar in Pullman, the office I think is a bar over there, and they wanted to show the Vandal game, and they said, oh, we're going to have like 15 people, and then they have 100 people, they could get in serious trouble for doing that, which is the tricky side of pay-per-view, but I don't know, I just, that's that's so hard too, because then it's also like, it's kind of like what uh, the Grace God. We're talking a lot of Grace Van Pot on this week's episode, but they talked about how like they don't consider themselves media because if it ever came to like they had a dirty secret about Montana, they're not self-reporting it. It's kind of like if I found out the Corner Club was showing the games and they weren't supposed to, I'm not going to be the one that goes like, "Oh, hey, the Corner Club was showing the game." Like I don't think that's quite the clientele they get. <laughs> So I get that's not the point of this, but I don't know. It's a uh, pay-per-view would be tricky because, you know, there's going to be stuff like that. There's going to be some bar somewhere that the universities can't keep an eye on, like someplace out here in Seattle, Washington, that might see the opportunity because somebody named Chris keeps saying you should show Big Sky games. You get a lot of business <laughs> and they show up and they spend a lot of money and no school knows about it. So I don't know. I think pay-per-view would be tricky. Hopefully it's not an issue. I know in that same article she talked about how it looks like they're more looking at a delayed schedule, but then you also read stuff that says they think they might be able to kick off on time. The biggest proponent of it is some states, for instance, like Utah, appear to be opening sooner. Other Like Idaho looks like it's going to be one of the first states to open back up. Is it fair I mean, it's- that a school like Weber State like Idaho, like Idaho State, can start practice when a school, like if we're being honest, because Eastern Washington is tied to the politics out here, always come from Western Washington where it's being hit really, really hard. So the state's not going to open up as fast. Even though Eastern Washington might be fine or better or whatever fine looks like at this point, the state's going to be on lockdown. So Eastern's not going to be allowed to practice. Portland State's not going to be allowed to practice because they're also tied in with Washington, Washington, Oregon, and uh, California. So now you have Cal Poly, Sac State, UC Davis, Portland State, and Eastern that aren't allowed to practice when maybe the rest of the big sky is. And can you allow that? Do you have to wait for those schools to be able to practice too? Like that's the other part of this is you can't really have some schools practicing and some schools not practicing. That's the other thing. Like maybe Montana – in Idaho are ready to play come Labor Day weekend, but Portland State's not. Do you start the year without them? I don't think you do. I think you stick together as a conference on this one. I think you have to. And now there, there's other caveats too with the you know with places opening up because um, you know within the state of Idaho, yeah, this was published. We're recording this on Tuesday. This was published on a Friday night, Saturday morning. In the 10 northernmost counties in the state of Idaho, there had been a combined total of 73 tests run outside oh. of Coeur d'Alene. So like subtract Coeur d'Alene, 10 northernmost counties, 73 total tests. Yeah. There's no way the health districts can okay that, uh, can okay yeah. safety without, and- without that ramping up. And we're not trying to be COVID hot take land yeah. because you are correct. I mean, you're... It, it, there are reasons to believe Idaho has ways where it might open before California. Yeah. Um, and that could impact how the big sky plays or, you know, what happens in the big sky. I'm going to, I don't know how you could possibly be okay with running a season where Weber state and Southern Utah get a month of extra. Yeah. And it's not just practice. I mean, th- that's the thing about if you're in Moscow right now, 
there there's no weight training facilities you can go to nope. so unless you have that stuff in your apartment um you're you're really on your own or you're filling up buckets of stuff yeah. uh, for your exercise they talked about like sprinting hills and that's it even if you because that was the tricky part this was i believe on that other pocket that was this is on the larry weir one sure you can't practice can't be doing full bone practice but Let's say the whole the NCAA has said there's no reason to talk. Well, I think it was actually the university presidents and ADs said it to the NCAA because they still put student athlete instead of athlete student. Uh, there's no way we're going to bring back college athletics if we don't have students on campus, which makes sense. You can't have a bunch of student athletes playing but the other students aren't there so they need to focus on opening universities first which then brings up if idaho opens before eastern sure we're not practicing but we have a rack those guys are in there doing gym workouts they're doing team workouts they're together maybe not sanctioned but they're together so it would be it's just gonna be such a on weird season because i've also heard like obviously trying to say as neutral on some stuff as possible but the SEC seems like a place that seems very rearing and ready to go that they would rather just open and have college football where the Pac-12 is in the states that are all linking together. So one state has to be – all three have to be ready to open in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, which have, you know, what, six of the Pac-12's teams. Is the SEC, ACC, those kinds of schools, are they, are they going to play football if the Pac-12 can't play football? Like, is it going to have to be every conference, all 50 states, well, I guess 48 states that have football are already at once? I mean, it's there's there's just so much to unpack here, and I guess the benefit of the doubt for us is this isn't really until August or September. I mean, obviously, decisions probably need to make, be made by July, but we're just not going to know anything until more data is collected. We learn something more every Every Tuesday, we have more information, and I still don't think anything's going to happen until really there's a vaccine, but I don't know. I, I'm i I'm happy with my COVID takes, unless you have anything else to add. Uh, uh, just a small thing of kind of breaking news that our listeners m- may be aware by the time this records. Uh, this is from Brett McMurphy of Stadium Sports. Um uh, apparently the president of Yukon accidentally let slip that he, and he didn't say it was other people, but it sounds like I, I, I don't know how the president of Yukon would have come to this conclusion without talking to other presidents. Um, he says he thinks it's likely fall sports will be canceled. Yeah, that's yeah. It's um crazy world we're living in. Well, sorry, it actually hits another thing they talked about on the podcast. I want to jump in, which um, was it the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference or something like that who said, I was like, like 85% of their revenue is generated through football. Oh, yeah. So like if if they don't do football, like there's no way to presume any other sports would be going. Yeah, because if you can't do football, you're not going to get enough money. I mean, we've talked about this, and uh, I think it gets touched on in Terry Gallick's interview with Colton that – College football with the payouts actually make so much money. We've talked about it. Penn State last year paid for all of our other sports this year to be able to travel. That one point three million or whatever. Yeah. Everything else, I guess, runs a positive because, you know, the money's coming from that. Football doesn't because 
football also has to then try to pay for itself. Like, yeah, we got this money from Penn State, but that's going to support the rest of the athletics. Then football is trying to make money off of revenue, sponsorships, and TV deals. The only other thing that even remotely draws TV money is March Madness. March Madness, if you're in it, make it far. There's money to be made there, which is another thing that we're touched on is like with not having any team in the conference, uh, Montana missed out on like $550,000 because they were probably going to go to it. And the rest of the conference missed out on like $220,000 each by Montana getting a bid. So that's money they expected. Plus, we missed out on money because it was our year to be sponsored in Spokane, which was an additional 200000 I know what people are saying is like, well, this is like 200000 there, 220000 here. But when you're planning a budget that's a couple million dollars and you just lost 400 almost a half a million dollars of that on stuff that when you budgeted, you had no reason to believe you were going to lose. Like this was, this isn't ticket sales trying to estimate. And you're like, ah, well maybe we'll come in short or over. This is, Oh, it's our year to be sponsored at Spokane for March Madness. That's $200,000. Oh, the big sky pending some a huge scandal is going to get a team in the NCAA tournament. That's $220,000. That's $420,000 you expected to have. That was just not given to you. That's that's a pretty big whack to your budget. That's where like you're looking at, yeah, do you try to float football and pay for it all when for once football is going to have to cover itself because that alone the athletics have lost ways of getting their own bit of money. It's just this is put a whole wrench in like is it almost even fiscally responsible to start football in the fall? knowing what the athletic like they almost need to reset their entire budgets and just go no expenses other than you know tuition and let's restart <laughs> i don't know if that's basketball starting now in like january if it's safe then or whatever but i don't i don't know it's it's just a crazy time man yeah, yeah, it is. And for, for us, I mean, that article, one of the things the article cited is we have a $1.5 million deficit from the 20, from 2019. I don't know how you improve on that. And we still have an arena we're building. Yeah. Um, you know, that arena is being deficit financed, but it was also with the presumption probably for those payments that we had these other revenues coming in. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good point. It was, yeah, we had sponsorships and bonds, but a lot of it was, too, that we expected athletic revenue. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, we might just start wrapping it up. Um, we no, we, we've got to Yeah, we got to talk rewatchable. And just mention that Boise State had to furlough every employee that made over $40,000, which is their entire football coaching staff and all their head coaches for every sport. So there are places that are a little bit worse than us because, once again, you're talking about a school that expects to earn a little bit of money, mm. and when you're paying your football coach $1.65 million a year, your basketball coach 800000 a year, yeah, you kind of really miss out on that kind of revenue when you were expecting like two to three teams from the Mountain West to make the tournament this year, and I think that's showing. Now, it only appears to be like 10-day furloughs, but yeah. Yikes. At least we haven't had to do that yet. Yeah. But that's not to say by next Tuesday we're not talking about how Idaho had to do it. I think in that same article, Terry said nothing's off the table when it was referring to, like, the Eastern coaches taking pay cuts. But Well, yeah, and, like, the Washington State coaches took, quote, unquote, voluntary pay, talk, pay, pay cuts. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm, by the way, I, I'm saying scare quotes around that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not 
I, I'm not trying to say they didn't, they weren't actually voluntary. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much, cause I mean, Nick Rolovich, uh, he, he seems pretty in tune with how the community is. So it's not like it would floor me if he, he was game with the 10% pay cut. I also, I, I guess I, I just am not a hundred percent convinced it was the coach's idea, like to, to cut their own pay. Yeah. Um, Especially in such a volatile, I'm reading a book right now called yeah. the system. That's all about college football and everything. And it was about some professor who somehow changed his own mind, I believe. At first, he was protesting how – I think he was, like, actually at Texas Tech protesting Mike Leach when he got a big contract. And mm-hmm. he was protesting how, like, Mike Leach just got, like, a 300% raise or whatever the heck it was, right? And he goes – and, I'm like, professors haven't gotten this raise, blah, 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 blah. And then they talk about how, like, years later he came to the conclusion that, yeah – they get paid this much money because there is about no less stable of a job. If you're a college professor, you get tenure at some point. You can't just be fired, right, for no cause at all. Football coach, they you're on a contract. They can straight up just be like, you're gone, you know? And you might you could be like Rob Akey where we don't even know where he is anymore. Like, it's, it's a Central rough, Michigan. Yeah, or Jason Gesser. <laughs> like, was at one point an interim head coach, and now he can't even get a job broadcasting. Like, it's a rough business to be in. Um, so I, I, I get trying to get your money when you get when you have it because you could all of a sudden not have any paychecks. But I also think a lot of these coaches realize that once everything gets back to normal, they're I don't know. I, we've covered enough COVID. Uh, let's talk 2009 humanitarian bowl once again. I guess kind of quickly. Um, beating the Bowling Green Falcons, 43-42. What were some of your takeaways, favorite moments, and flashbacks from the 2009 Humanitarian Bowl in Boise? Dude, this is this game to me, oh, God, I could talk for like an hour about this. I know. I um, in, in some ways, to me, it's actually a, it's actually sad to watch that game. You know, there were the twenty six thousand people there. Um, in cold weather. In, yes, in cold weather, twenty six thousand people there. The crowd was loud. The whole um, game. You know, for if you're a recent Vandal fan, you might not remember we were part of the WAC, which is essentially what the Mountain West is now. And we we made a bowl game out of that conference. That you can't. You're at least pretty solid. If, if you made a bowl game out of that conference. I think at the time, um, wasn't it the, the second best team in the conference got that bid? And the first got the – I could be wrong there. But it was it was not the bottom of the barrel bowl for the whack. I mean, I know Idaho got preferential treatment because, like, they knew it would sell because it was in Idaho. But you're still getting a MAC team that's supposed to be paired with, like, the number two in the what was the whack. So it was – I mean, at one point we were playing ACC teams. Like, being from Boise, I remember watching Maryland, Miami, I believe Clemson and Boston College at one point. Like, uh, there's some serious teams that rolled through Boise. And I know eventually it switched to the MAC, which we played Bowling Green. But, yeah, you weren't playing a, a you know, terrible MAC team. You were playing in upper tier. I believe that year both teams were 8-5. and five, So – Seven and five going to the game, but um. yeah, and and with that Idaho team, like they talked about on the broadcast, you got to remember, you know, they started out six and one. 
you know, the, the toughest part of their schedule is the second half, but they did a ton of those games with Nathan Enderly out for injury. <clears throat> you know, their one bad loss that year was um, at home against Utah State. Uh, that was a Thanksgiving week game, so the attendance was way lower, too. <clears throat> we lost by three. That was where Nathan Enderly tried to come back, and then he was hurt in the game. But that, I mean, you aside from Utah State, the losses are in conference are to Colin Kaepernick's Nevada team, uh, number six at the time, Boise State and Fresno State that finished six and two in conference. You know, those are all good. The teams we lost to were good teams. And the Boise State the game was part. surprisingly more competitive than the score looks. I mean, yeah, it was still – we weren't really threatening, but, like, Deontay Jackson played his, like, lights out. De- uh, Demondre Woolridge played lights out. Preston Davis and Max Komar played really well. I believe that was, like, the first game Nathan Enderley had come back from a bit of an injury. So, like, Nathan Enderley wasn't totally fresh in that game. And we didn't get kicked like we had – the previous probably six years. So I, yeah, not to cover the Boise state game, but Oh nine, yeah. like I've said, I've covered multiple times. This game very sentimental to me because it's the game that actually convinced me to commit to Idaho as a student. I was very much wazoo, Idaho, wazoo, Idaho. This game made me go Idaho. Um, just cause I mean, it was magical. I, I know people, it actually almost bothers me how much people love the 2016 Potato Bowl so much when I actually think this game is all in all a better game. It was never once a blowout. It was back and forth the whole game. You had a guy, I can't name you, I think Michael Gallup was on Colorado State, but otherwise I can't tell you anybody on that Colorado State team. I can remember Freddie Barnes. Freddie Barnes killed us that year. I can remember their quarterback, Sheehy, was really good. Um, not NFL good, but like the guy who you could tell was just he had been there, he knew the system. You have a guy like Dave Clawson. I I think Mike Bobo might have been the head coach for Colorado State. I could be wrong, but once again, I know Dave Clawson was the coach for Bowling Green, who's gone on. I believe is at Wake Forest now or something. He's grown in the coaching trees, and that was his first season. Um, and then you also look at that team. And once again, we just covered it. No offense to the 2016 team. Like I said, I think Deion Watson should be on a team. Um, but you have Mikey Apati, who played on that team, drafted. Shiloh Kehu, who played on that team, drafted. Nathan Enderley, who played on that team, drafted. Um, Daniel Hardy played on that team, drafted. You had four or five guys who got drafted and multiple more that – Ended up playing in the NFL. So, I mean, that team was loaded with talent. You're talking about guys like uh, Justin Veltung, guys like Max Com- Max Komar was on that team. Like, it was it was a weird – that is probably the most talented – I post this question when we won in 16. I actually think the 9 team would pretty – I know the – 2016 team had a better record. They finished the year with nine wins. But I truly think that 09 team would have beaten 2016. We had a lot of studs in 2016. But, I mean, you're talking about Mikey Apati, arguably the best guard other than Jerry Kramer that's ever played at Idaho. You're talking about Shiloh Kale, maybe the most electric defensive player we've ever had at the University of Idaho. I, I have compared Caden Ellis to as close as we've gotten to Shiloh Kale since. That's comparing him to Shiloh Ko. Uh, Ko was lights out. 
Um, you forget the guys like Jojo Dixon and Siavihi and the other guys that were part of that team. I mean, the three-headed running backs of Princeton McCarty, Demondre Woolrich, and Deontay Jackson. And you still had Devon Sturdivant taking the rock, too, as like a punt. Like that, that, our running backs were super deep. You have Max Komar. You have Preston Davis. You have Eric Greenwood, who had time playing for the Seahawks. Like, that 9 team was, it was really good. It just, as you covered, that year we played a top-ranked UW team. We played, we beat Colorado State, who had a pretty decent year that year. We played number six, Boise State. We played Colin Kaepernick. And we didn't play the quality of teams in 2016 that we put. I mean, we still played a really good UW team, ironically. But um, we didn't play the same quality of teams that we played in that 09 season. That 09 season, we had some serious teams, and they beat us. But those same teams would have beat the 16 team. So, I don't know. I don't want to compare teams because I still love the 16 team, too. Like, Freisinger's getting that catch. Uh, Deontay or Deion Watson, Matt Linehan, Caden Ellis, Christian Ellis, Ty Graham. Like, th- that was a fun game to watch. Topamanu. Um, but I, I mean, what's your 09 better team or am I totally off here? I'm 100% with you. 09. 09 to me is definitely, um, to the extent we could, we could even say this, that they were a better team. Yeah. Um, that, that was, I mean, that's part of why to me, like watching that game was half sad because there was no way to look at that game. 26,000 fans. We make it out of a good conference, um, into, into that bowl game, have a great showing in the bowl game. Look, even if we hadn't won on that wild two point conversion, it's still a good showing. Yeah. That still would have been a no fun way game. to not, there's no way to not think that that's a program on the rise. And to be fair, we've covered it a little bit. I mean, I know this kind of turned more into the 2019 instead of the bowl game, but the bowl game was just such a crown jewel on that season, especially with the Mm two-point conversion. The driving down the field with 21 seconds, 27 seconds left. Max Komar being so hyped, rightfully so, going into the game. Then, like, not having a catch, actually having multiple drops, playing like hot garbage the whole game. And if we're being honest, now that it's over, Probably trapped that ball. <laughs> we would have had another shot, so I'm not saying we would have lost, but eh, I'm not sure he caught that. But first catch of the game is still probably not a catch. It's the game what would have been tying setup. Put it was the game winning setup play. I guess is the best way to put. It. We could have tied it with an extra point, or we obviously went for two. The fact that we decided to go for two, Bowling Green was like, "What the heck? They're going for two? Timeout." When we'd already motioned and everything, like the play was about to get snapped when they call a timeout. And what does Rob Akey do? He just flips the field. Same play, just had the guy go in motion the other direction. Same play. And that play was actually so big and like influential. When you actually played NCAA football 10 or 11, whichever one came out the year after that, Idaho's playbook actually had a play called two-point conversion, and it was that play. You could actually run that specific play with the motion and everything. So it was... That big of a play, and that game was actually, I voted, I think was voted like number three or number four bowl games for that season. It even caught EA's eye in a game that at that point is pretty late in the development cycle. They're just more working on fine details. They decided to go in and add a play for a team like Idaho after that game. That's, I mean, that and Storm in the Field. I mean, that was back to that game. That was, we almost shorthanded it not talking about it. It was it was so electric. Like I said before, compared to 16, like back and forth the whole game. 43 42. I know it ended up being higher, but we all know that, like, 
that first quarter was zero zero, I believe, in sixteen. Like that was not the case in oh nine. Um you gotta see it was just such it was so fun. I love that game. When we started this Vandal Rewatchable series, it was because I turned on the two thousand nine game. Oh. You're gonna love it. Rob Akey calling his shot at halftime. Like I don't know. I honestly I know ninety eight Boise State is one that people really want us to rewatch. I think according to the poll, by the way, if you haven't voted, you have four days to vote on which game to watch this weekend. Um, I'll look it up while Brian's talking, but I know a lot of people want us to watch 99 Wazoo. We actually have some older games coming in, and like uh, I think I actually tracked down your Colton Richardson's first start or last start or whatever. I've tracked down some of the games we were looking for. They're in the mail, um, so we'll have some more. But this was the game that made me think of it. This was the game that I still think is probably one of my favorite Vandal games of all time, that and the 9 Colorado State game which is another game we should probably watch. I know we originally were going to talk Montana State, but Root Sports is just too hard to watch and find streams of. But um, yeah. this 09 is it, I mean, it's why I started the series, which I know we said we were going to make this short, but this was the game I was most excited to talk about, and I'm happy we got to talk about it. Yeah, man, like a couple points for to go over to. First, it was it was it, to me it was, it was fun to watch. I, I just maybe I don't remember this. I went to those games. I was a senior. I was a yeah, I was a senior, or yeah, I was a senior that year um, when uh, Idaho made the made the bowl game because that was the 09, 2010 season. I graduated two thousand ten. Um, Nathan Enderley in the first half, like none of his passes traveled, le- or like one of his passes traveled less than like thirty yards. I had a terrible just, first half completion percentage wise. Yeah. But just like seeing that after what we've seen here, like the last two seasons, I kept watching that thinking like, what, what are they doing? Every Okay, well, whatever. We're, we're, we're fine with this. Man, Preston Davis keeps getting it. Man, Eric Greenwood's really tall. <laughs> yeah. Kama um, Bailey, I think, was on that team too. Like, you know, uh, Second, Demonte Woolridge, who is only on the team for one year, here. I believe. Yeah. Wazoo um, transfer. Yeah, man, he was – yeah, he did some work that game in 22 rushes, 126 yards, two touchdowns. I was glad the announcers talked about Deontay Jackson yeah. uh, a little bit because he, man, he to me is a great, is a big Vandal what if. I Because yeah, again, totally. he was there. Totally. Uh, that from, is, I was going well, to say the same thing that like, I think of all, Vandals of all time, that is probably the guy that is the biggest what if, man. Like that freshman year he had, so good. Had he not gotten hurt, and just kind of struggled to really get back from that injury. And then his senior year where he finally seemed, like I said, he tore it up against Boise State. He played pretty dang well in the H-Bowl, too, when he got his shots. But now he's sitting behind this just guy who is, I mean, could have ran from Mayor of Moscow and Woolridge at the time. Like, and, and he didn't complain. Like, just all time, one of my favorite Vandals. I love Deontay Jackson. Um, and the fact that he came here because of Dennis Erickson and then stayed committed when Erickson left, specifically because he was Steven Jackson's nephew and he was at Oregon State when Dennis Erickson was there. Like, he really only had ties to Erickson, not Idaho, and then still stayed and got hurt and didn't transfer. And I love him. Huge what if. But you're right. Like, it was nice to hear him them talk about him because at the time, he was probably our biggest pro prospect in a long time and obviously Mikey Potty ended up coming out of that and yeah. KO and we had we've covered that but yeah it was nice to hear about Deontay Jackson because he sometimes gets forget or forgotten about for being 
one of the most exciting vandals of all time on a team that was loaded with them because Komar on his own was a personality. Uh, Preston Davis was a personality. Like, uh, we, I love that 09 team, man. Number one in my heart's 09. I'm straight up. <laughs> oh, man, no question. And I guess that's part of why, um, yeah, no, again, I'm not trying to like spin this negative. It's, we're just vandals. We'll find a way. But uh, <laughs> the way that I, 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 I watched that game in Gambinos, uh, I couldn't make it to Boise because I'd had a, a couple things late in the semester change. Uh, and I was actually moving over to Seattle and not too long uh, to do my student teaching internship. So I watched the game in Gambinos, ate their best in Moscow Buffalo wings, like two multiple orders. And, um, I just remember watching that game thinking like, okay, well, the corner has been turned. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, the next season, I mean, look, the next season is Wait, not like that's the, a whole nother that, podcast. It's the, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. I, to put it simply, they were not bad nope. in 2010 they at all. Should have gone um, the back-to-back bowls. We've covered multiple chances. They had to make a bowl, not playing Hawaii, mm. big one. Having a really close loss to Colorado State. I mean, we've covered it all. They had multiple opportunities to make back-to-back bowls. Didn't capitalize. Um, yeah. So yeah, for those people at home, one tweet at us. Like, what do you remember from the '09 H Bowl? We don't want to just be up here or through your headphones talking to you. Like, we want you guys to get involved in these too. Watch the games. Ask hashtag #AskTATCs. Now, I think this YouTube works, so we're gonna start doing YouTube live shows until this quits working. Um, Get on here and chat with us in the comments. Um, you can pick for next week. We have, if you're watching live on Tuesday, uh, three days and ten hours. If, obviously, if you're listening to this Thursday at about nine o'clock, you have one day and ten hours to go vote. But right now, it's 98 Humanitarian Bowl at three percent. Man, people just don't like that game. Uh, 99 Wazoo at 26 percent. 2009 Colorado State at 39 percent. Uh, and 32% for 1998 Boise State. So looking like it's going to be 09 Colorado State or 98 Boise State, which ironically I watched 09 Colorado State after rewatching this this weekend. So I'll be well prepped for that, and I'll probably rewatch it again because it is a good game. But make sure you go vote on that. Um, Brian, what's your, what's your pick? If people are like, I want to be Team Brian right now, who are you hoping wins this poll? Because we're going strictly off the poll. It's public, so we can't get rid of it, but... I'm just curious, of these, where did you vote or where would you vote if you haven't yet? I voted Colorado State. I, I got to tell you, man, that 09 team has a special place in my heart. It felt great to hear the name Princeton McCarty again. It <laughs> felt great to hear the name Trey Farquhar. Yeah. Uh, some names that like are built into my DNA of like when football in Idaho is being played. Like Those names are the ones that ring. It's like, oh, yeah, those are Idaho names. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the 98... I'm actually stoked for, to watch the 98 humanitarian bowl because I never watched that game. Um, and I remember when I was in middle school at the time, a ton of my teachers were Vandal alums. It was a huge deal it was. in the middle school. And we can always hold it over Boise. We made a bowl before them like, and yep. won it on their turf in their home locker room. Like, that's a big deal. It gets forgotten about. That's why, that's why we're doing this. I think people are picking the games like, Boise State is a sexy pick. It's Boise State. Wazoo, sexy pick. It's Wazoo. 09, Colorado State. People remember it. ESPN. Like, we had the whole ESPN U or two, I believe. We were, like, mainstream. 
at that point. And then it's like 98 age pool, and you're like, oh, didn't we put like Southern Miss? Brett Favre wasn't there yet, was he? No? Oh, yeah, he's long gone. Uh, I don't know. That was a good game. Like, that was a really good game. So I'm excited for some of you to get to watch it. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. We are over an hour and a half, and we're on one bar left on our handy little uh, recorder here. So we'll, we'll wrap okay. it up. We got some big news for you guys. We'll post about it and on Twitter and all vandals to get some questions for you guys. Um, but we have – oh, I'm going to murder this. Uh, Mahmoud Sheikh, Associate Athletic Director for Development and more kind of why I'm excited to have him on, the VSF Executive Director. Um, we're going to have him on on May 5th, I believe. So uh, we got one more episode between that. So you got some time to think of some questions. We'll stay with you guys on that. We hope to maybe have – a former Vandal player on next week. We'll see. People are busy with COVID and everything. But hopefully, a guy who maybe got drafted. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, so yeah, the, hopefully that's it. Brian, if you want to let the know the people how they can find you, and if there's anything going on in your life you want to share, find me at Brian Marceau on Twitter. That's M A R C E A U, or on Instagram at B Marceau eighty six. Otherwise. I got the big thing I got going is maybe rewatching another 2009 game, man. <laughs> I love it. Um, I do want to give a quick shout out to uh, Rick Sparks. He's the guy who gave us the idea to reach out to Mahmood. So thank you. And thank you for the hot tip. Cause we're really excited. I know Brian and I are really excited about it. Um, then also you, you can follow me at Chris underscore P underscore Hammond. Uh, you can follow – please follow the Big Sky Podcast Network. Um, that's at Big Sky Podcast on social media to stay up to date with all the BSBN developments. We just had a conference call, so we're in the works. Uh, we're also going to be releasing a uh, survey here for you guys probably, hopefully Thursday. So make sure you fill it out. It's what you guys like, what you would change. And we just want to get to know kind of where you guys' stances are on some things so we can better curate our coverage to what you guys actually want to hear. So hopefully you guys will take it. Maybe, I don't know. I won't say we're going to do a prize because I don't know how that would even work. Um, so just please, when we post it, take it. Uh, it shouldn't take too long. It's all pretty basic. But uh, that's it. Uh, time for the best band in all the land. The Sound of Idaho. Play us out. Go Vandals. Go Vandals. Go Vandals.